0: Welcome back to another week of Pitches Be Crazy. I'm your host Lily Schumacher. Uh, you know this is your spot for all of your weekly MLB news. Catch up with what's been happening, what's been going on in the league. Uh, see what the standings are like. All that's fun stuff. So let's get into it, as I always do. We're going to be going through uh, the standings, just kind of giving an update from last week. See what everybody's doing all across the league. So. Let's start in the American League with the AL East. Yankees, shocker, still still cruising. They um, just got their uh, 20, 20th loss recently, so they do have a record of 56-21, and 21, which, you know, brutal. But Yankees are still absolutely steamrolling the pack, which is kind of crazy to see at this point. Uh, the Red Sox and the Blue Jays are tied for second right now in the AL East. Uh, 12 and a half games back, each team having a record of 43 and 33. So that'll be interesting to see how this starts to shake out. Red Sox notoriously had a very terrible start to the season. And this is obviously a lot different. That's like, they kind of, they got themselves back there. So to every Boston fan who said that everything was lost and uh, there wasn't anything to be hopeful about, and I said, still a lot of season left. Uh, I would like uh thank you, and uh, I'm sorry I was wrong. But moving on, the Rays are 15 games back with a record of 40 and 35, and the Orioles are 21 games back with a record of 35 and 42. So weren't able to continue that success that we had seen just for a moment, but I'm still hopeful. I guess I'm – I mean, I'm a big uh, Rays gal, and I'm kind of like – I want to see. I want to see the Orioles succeed. But in um, On Colorcast, I see C McBride says Boston fans were saying it earlier, but I, a Tampa fan, fan, am saying the same thing now. Again, I have a lot of hope for Tampa, and it's because I like the Rays. But I think if they can just kind of get just the bullpen. So, I mean, I just saw that series. They just played the Brewers, and the Brewers got a uh, two-game sweep, and. It, like, Shane Boss had a great outing, and it's just things kind of all of a sudden collapsed as soon as he was out of the game, and the second game was kind of never in their hands, but neither here nor there, I won't make you drown in that knowledge or that discussion right now. We'll we'll, we'll move on to other things. So, moving on to the AL West, the Astros leading the pack with a record of 48-27. and 27. So, somebody had a good June. Um, they're you know, really just kind of maintaining this dominance that I think we maybe didn't expect to see. But, you know, good for them. Uh, All about it. (laughs) And the Rangers, surprisingly, are in second. Uh, They (laughs) are 11 and a half games back. The Mariners and the Angels are both 12 and a half games back. So tied for that third spot with a record of 37 and 41. And the Oakland A's are a solid 25, ooh, 24 and a half games back, with a record of 25 and 53. And one of the things I'm going to be talking about will be pertaining to, the, pertaining to the athletics, so we'll see. Moving on to the AL Central, Twins leading the pack, but oh, what's this? Cleveland Guardians are close behind. So the Twins have a record of 43 and 36, but the Guardians are, you know, getting close with a record of 39 and 34. So. Watch out for them, Cleveland Guardians. The White Sox are five and a half games back with a record of 35 and 39. So losing records still, but it is better than the Orioles now. So there's that to be hopeful about. The Tigers are 11 and a half games out of first with a record of 29 and 45. And the Royals have 13 and a half games back with a record of 27 and 47. So not looking pretty, but I think we're going to be seeing it seems like a lot of these leagues are either we're seeing these teams completely separate themselves from the pack or it's getting a little bit closer in the way that I think we had previously expected or were anticipating seeing so i'm intru- i'm I'm very intrigued i'm very intrigued right now <laughs> pat rush on colorcast says go tigers yes indeed uh bless your heart <laughs> let's go over to check out the nl so in the NL East, Mets still maintaining that control, and they have a record of forty seven and twenty nine. So no team in the NL has reached fifty wins yet. Um, so Yankees stand alone in that. In the AL, um, right behind the Mets, though, uh, previous our twenty twenty one World Series champions, the Braves are three and a half games back with a record of forty four and thirty three. So watch out for them, Braves. Um, (laughs) the Phillies are seven and a half games out of first with a record of 40 and 37. Marlins, 12 games out with a record of 34 and 40. And the Nationals have a record of 29 and 49 and are 19 games out of first place. So there we go. Uh, again, watch out for them Braves. Moving on to the NLS, the Dodgers maintaining control of the division yet again, uh, with a record of 47 and 28. Two and a half games back, though well, the Padres sit with a record of 46 and 32, uh, so just got a couple more, couple more losses than them. The Giants are six and a half games back, record of 40 and 34. Diamondbacks, 13 and a half games back, and the Rockies are 14 and a half games back. And let's go to my ML Central. So the Brewers back on top in the division uh, with a record of 44 and 34. The Cardinals though are close behind uh with a record of 43 and 35 but they are a game back. Pirates are next closest uh 12 games back with a record of 31 and 45. Cubs are 13 games back and the Reds are 16 and a half games back. Moving on. I have been talking about all-star voting and kind of going through and saying let's like look at a ballot, how do we want to go about this? um what are my votes and where do i want to see guys in and i wanted to give an update and just go through who made it to phase 2 for being the all-star starters or all-star game starters um or who is going to be voted for for that so i'll run through it and give you guys a bit of an update there yeah and again the voting doesn't start till the 5th so there is going to be a little bit of downtime but Doesn't mean we can't talk about it, so let's go through it. Um, Let's start in the National League. So the uh, top two vote-getters for catcher were uh, Wilson Contreras for the Cubs and Travis Darno of the Atlanta Braves. Wilson Contreras had over 2 million votes, so good on him. I won't get too much into it right now with how I feel about him as a Brewers fan, but, you know, Uh, for first base, Paul Goldschmidt led the pack with, again, Nearly two and a half million. Uh, Pete Alonso of the Mets was that second top voter getter there for first base. Second base, Ozzy Albies of the Braves getting nearly uh, 1.75 million votes. Jazz Chisholm, though, of the Marlins, very close behind, like oh, 1.73 million. So, crazy number of votes there. Uh, for third base, Manny Machado absolutely smoking everybody. Uh, nearly 2.4 million, so 2,381,000 votes. Crazy. Um, Nolan Arenado was the second top vote getter there for third base of the Cardinals. Shortstop, Trey Turner led the pack, just over 2 million votes, followed by Dansby Swanson of the Braves. Go Dansby, love you. For the outfield, Ronald Acuna Jr., 3.5 million votes. Mookie Betts nearly had 3.5 million as well, but just short under that. And then following up after that, Jock Peterson of the Giants, Starling Marte of the Mets, and Adam Duvall of the Braves. So wow. Um, For DH, uh, Bryce Harper had 2.5 million votes, and William Contreras got uh, 1.7 million. So nice to see that there. I say a pretty solid group of guys. Of course, no Brewers, but it's fine. It's okay. I get how it is. I think it'll be different once we get pitching in there because that's kind of the the brewer's strong suit. I feel like in terms of where their all stars exist and where they where they are. Um, moving on to the American League for catcher, uh, Alejandro Kirk of the Blue Jays, over three million votes. Uh, Jose Trevino of the Yankees sitting there as the other guy in the AL. Um, For first base, we have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays with uh, 2.8 million votes. And then Ty France of the Mariners. So guys, we got one. We got one of the ones I was talking about. So let's do it. We got one. Got Ty France on my team for my my fantasy team. So big Ty France gal. And he's been having a really nice season. So can't be mad about it. For second base, we have Jose Altuve, just under 2 million votes. And then Santiago Espinal of the Blue Jays. Third base, we have Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, just under 2 million votes. And then Rafael Devers uh, of the Red Sox. Moving into shortstop, Bo Bichette of the Blue Jays, just over 2 million votes. Let's go, Bo. And uh, Tim Anderson of the White Sox. And then for the outfield, Aaron Judge, casually sitting in here with 3,762,498 3,762,498 votes. Absolutely ridiculous. So he and Ronald Acuna Jr. both led the pack. Uh, Aaron Judge led the entire league, and Acuna had the most votes in the NL, so ridiculous. Then we have Mike Trout of the Angels, George Springer of the Blue Jays, Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees, and then Lourdes Gurriel Jr. of the Blue Jays. Um, and for the DH, there's Jordan Alvarez of the Astros, just over 2 million votes. And then Shohei Otani of the Angels. So, you know, pretty solid in my humble opinion. Again, I knew it wasn't going to be as Brewers heavy, and I knew there were not going to be a ton in there. Um, but happy to see a few of my guys in there. Again, I gave Aaron Judge some votes because he's done the very most for me in fantasy this year. So I got to give him respect. Boba shot uh in Thai France, and of course i loved I love to see Danby Swanson in there for the NL, so you gotta love it, you gotta love it, but few things I kind of wanted to run through um, in terms of some news or notable stories throughout the week and notable stories that I liked the most so let let's go let's go to the to the a l West because I wanna talk about the Mariners and angels. In that whole brawl, because I think it has captured my attention in a way that uh, I haven't enjoyed a brawl. I don't know; it, it's been so long since there was something like this that really, really got me. Like, it's just really good. There's something about it. Like, we all love a really good brawl. Let's let's be honest; it's fun. That's that's one of those baseball things that you will see benches clear a lot and you're like oh but when it's something like this where they're actually going at it there's just something about it that you're like okay that's what I'm talking about that that's what we're here for and many breakdown i'm sure some people have seen like john boyce breakdown which if you haven't like love him or not that breakdown is just pretty fucking funny i'll be i'll be brutally honest but Essentially, um, if you were not familiar with this with this fight or what happened, what led to it, the night before... So this was on uh, Sunday. This was a Sunday brawl. Uh, on Saturday, Mike Trout had been getting thrown at, and I believe then got hit by a pitch. And a lot of the players and team members, coaches, whatever, what have you, um, of the Angels were essentially saying that this was intentional, he was doing it on purpose, and they were very upset about it. And the next day then, there was kind of some of this going on, you could still feel this tension, and eventually Jesse Winker uh, gets hit by a pitch, and he is, you know, rightfully upset, kind of chirping, kind of talking back and forth, and something seems to kind of happen. and all of a sudden he charges at the Angels bench and then a brawl breaks out. He starts throwing punches. Lots of people start throwing punches. He goes right up to Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon slaps him. It's a whole thing. It's like it's a it's a whole thing. So in the wake of this, we saw many suspensions. Uh 12 players and coaches were suspended because of this brawl. Um, so I'll kind of run through that and what that actually shaked out to be like, but I want to take note of C McBride said um, in the chat, I'm telling you, if we had more of the, those brawls, baseball popularity would and revenue would skyrocket. I mean, again, we like violence. Let's be honest. That's why people like football. It's not my favorite. Here's my thing. I don't like sometimes how hard guys get hit in football, but baseball, it's just like Every time there's a brawl, it's like a good old fashioned fist fight. And I'm just about that. That's like, that's what I'm here for. That's what I love. So truly something to just stand in awe of. But before I go through and talk about all the suspensions and who has been suspended on each team, the thing to take note of was the Angels were kind of acting like the Mariners were doing this and had this huge intention of doing, especially because they were trying to hit Mike Trout, really like. Kynan's inside, so nearly hitting him in the head. But the Mariners have been hit by (laughs) um, many a pitch by the Angels already this season. Uh, Justin Upton got literally one to the head and stayed in the game. And there's just a few other examples of it where they're not really causing a stink about it. They're not really getting too, too upset or angry. And then the Angels, this happens once, and they are just like,
1: it's on.
0: But regardless, it, it's it's entertaining. It, it's a lot's happening, a lot's going on. So let's run through it. The other one I wanted to take note of was Archie Bradley actually, um, I believe, fractured his elbow during the brawl. But it was kind of in the saddest way <laughs> because he literally fell over the fence trying to go get involved in it and managed to fracture his elbow. So kind of sad. Hopefully he recovers quickly, but let's see. Let's go, let's go through this and list everybody, everybody who got suspensions. So Phil Nevin, the Angels interim manager, he got a 10 game suspension. Jesse Winker of the Mariners got a seven game suspension. Anthony Rendon, even though he has been out and has been injured and won't be playing this whole season, he got five, five game suspensions. So he'll serve that when he gets back off the IL in the future. Dom Chidi, the Angels pitching staff, uh, coach, five-game suspension. J.P. Crawford of the Mariners, five-game suspension. Andrew Wants of the Angels, three-game suspension. Ryan Depera of the Angels, three-game suspension. Again, if you're going to go through and watch the brawl again, Ryan Depera and <laughs> Jesse Winker are really throwing punches at each other. It's kind of impressive. Um, Rysel Iglesias of the Angels has a two-game suspension. Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners, two-game suspension. Ray Montgomery of the Angels, two-game suspension. Manny Del Campo of the Angels, two-game suspension. And Bills Hasselman of the Angels, his uh, catching coach, one-game suspension. And a lot of people are talking about how it is kind of significantly more... A lot of Angels. A lot, a lot of Angels are getting those suspensions there. it's a, It's one of those things that it's not to say the Mariners are perfect, or they're completely clear in that situation, but kind (laughs) of. I do think that they kind of went out on top looking like the classier team, especially after uh, Rasili Glacius started throwing sunflower seeds and bubblegum onto the field, and just, you know, ripping through everything in the dugout. Not the best look. So W for the Mariners and for Jesse Winker, because Again, he instantly gained my respect. I was like, okay, Jesse Winker. I see you. I got you. Also, if you haven't watched it, please do because you need to keep an eye on Shohei Otani because he kind of starts to try to get involved and he's like, whoa. And then like, he's all smiling and happy being his cute self. And then all of a sudden, like, you can tell, I think it's his translator and somebody else, they pull him away and they're like, Sho, You're like, no. Uh-uh. We're not doing this. He's like, okay. So... He stayed out of trouble. Good good kid. Um, and also too, it should be noted that uh, most of them are gonna be serving at suspension starting sometime this week. None of them have made an appeal. Or most of them, sorry. I honestly doubt I, I don't think anybody is going to be making an appeal because it's kind of kind of straightforward, but regardless, let's move on. So there was, I think, some more Sad news, kind of upsetting, hard to see, but Bryce Harper is going to be out indefinitely because he fractured his thumb after getting hit by a pitch from Blake Snell. He did just have a successful surgery to repair his left thumb, but there isn't really an exact estimation or prediction for when when he's going to be back in the lineup like normal just really sucks to see. I mean, if you saw the video, it was brutal. You could just tell the way his thumb got hit. was not pleasant. Bless up, safe feeling to him. Also, too, I think it was taken of note that he and Blake Snell have known each other for a really long time, so he knows it wasn't intentional. Doesn't mean he's not upset about it, but he kind of handled it like a champ, even to just how he was acting on the field. Like, I haven't always been the biggest Bryce Harper gal, but it made me have a lot more respect for him than I think I have previously, just because he got just absolutely nailed. He got beat and for the most part stayed really composed. And I think that's a lot to ask out of anybody to have that kind of attitude after you know, to knowing that your season's probably done, or the majority of your season's probably done, so really just props to him. Um, Padres, catcher, um, Alfaro was also just being a total class act, so much respect to him as well for that. But it is just brutal and especially too because he was already kind of having a rough season um was filling in that DH spot since he had an injury and couldn't be playing out in um on the outfield so just kind of brutal for the Phillies especially since they were starting to heat up a little bit more so best of luck to him hopefully he hopefully he feels good or you know kind of gets on the healing path sooner rather than later but yeah moving on so this is the one that i hadn't realized i didn't realize there was any news on this but i was really excited to see it because i'm kind of very engaged and enthralled by the whole situation in oakland and what the future of the a's looks like there especially because especially because i just i i find that whole thing really compelling with the proposal there for having a new stadium built and the project that they were trying to do and what was going on in all of that sort of idea. So I'll talk about that, but I will address first a few comments and color casts. So R.C. Milton says, Lily, did you talk um, best expansion relocation like you did yesterday? I have some thoughts. And also mentioned move the A's to Vancouver or Portland. And this is something I had talked about yesterday. I was on Backstop Banner, which again, thank you to them for having me on. Very exciting. I was more than happy to be back there and get some opportunity to talk baseball with them. Great show on on Unwrapped Sports Network. But yeah, I did talk, we talked about it a bit because I do have some, I do have some opinions. So, first of all, I am very, Let's talk. about I'll talk about the A's first, then I'll move into talking about the expansion. All, and then I'll kind of go in with some of my thoughts. So, I wanted to talk about that. This is huge, and this is like really big. Um, so the Oakland A's have had this stadium proposal in place for a very long time, and have been trying to get it through. And it's been met by a lot of. A lot of people can have been kind of like pushing back on it, especially in Oakland and have been preventing the uh, the plans from going through any further for the proposal of just not getting accepted. And it actually finally, the vote passed. they got a twenty three and two vote. So I think the stadium there is actually going to, you know, they're going to start developing it, and it looks like the A's will be staying in Oakland for the foreseeable future um I think this is a really big step and that's of course I mean an easy easy claim to make but the exciting thing about this is that it's I mean it's a really beautiful development project and I know there was a lot of work that went in um working on kind of ensuring that it's taking into account the area that it's going to be built upon um environmental concerns everything like that but it would just—it looks bo- like gorgeous. It looks like a really beautiful arena, and you're keeping the team there, which I know a lot of people have problems with. But I think it's something that could potentially uh, reinvigorate some hope and, a, you know, more promising future for the A's. I know I had been talking about last night on backstop banner because we started talking about expansion and relocation, um, all those sorts of things. And I was—I'm very against having moving the A's to Las Vegas, because I just don't think it makes sense to have a baseball team there. And again, it might be a hot take, but like I was talking about with um, Michael, I'm XF Banner. I don't even like the Raiders really being there. I'm not a fan of there being professional teams in Vegas. I just don't, I just don't get the point. But especially baseball, baseball just doesn't make sense there. And I think there's a lot more cities that are more deserving of a team. But I was always saying, my, my whole proposal was because of everybody saying, we need to bring the Rays, let's put the Rays in Montreal, I was like, nah, baby, if we're going to be moving the Oakland A's, Montreal A's, because why the hell not? I'm happy to see them stay in Oakland, because I think that's just a really, it's a big victory, and it's going to be doing a lot, I think, for that city, and just that fan base who is strong and loyal in Oakland, it gives them an opportunity to actually be there, and have a future there, which is exciting, but... The, there was the question of again, RC Milton mentioned the expansion, and this is because Rob Manfred brought up a lot of things in terms of introducing potentially, I think by the 2024 2025 season, introducing Robo Umps, which we know my stance very against, and I can explain why. So, first of all, Robo Ump, my whole thing with it is it's a slippery slope. I think if you start introducing That sort of thing where you have an automated strike zone, where that is the only thing determining it and kind of making those plays. My whole thing is, it's just kind of saying, then why not have a robot for everything? I know that seems aggressive and that seems like really dramatic, but it's kind of like actually making sure that we have qualified umpires who are doing their best to make the strike zone as accurate as possible. And one of the things that I think I take note of there is that of course we like to talk about all the bad umps and everybody who's just been, you know, doing a terrible job this season or whenever in the past. um, Obviously this year and many, many years and forever, it's always Angel Hernandez and talking about him and what he does. But there have been a few guys this year who've called really accurate games, um, which is really cool to see. and. I think it's something for me that I'm like, okay, why don't we just continue to try to work on, you know, rewarding the guys who are calling these really accurate games and are staying consistent with their um, strike zone and work on just finding ways to actually improving what they're doing. Because if you go with an automated strike zone, it's kind of like you're asking for perfection and you're taking out the human aspect of it so then it's like well why have a pitcher if you could just have a ball thrown perfectly there why have a batter why not have robots for everything so I think it's one of those things that yes it's a very dramatic statement to make but it kind of opens the door to the possibilities of saying well then why do we have people doing any of this what's the point of humans being there there's some there's some stuff about that too that you can actually read about That kind of explains that whole theory. But in terms of expansion, I'm not necessarily against it. It's just I would need to hear more about the logistics of how that's actually going to happen. Because right now, if you told me that, where are we going to? How are we going to do this? How are we actually going to go about this? And how are we going to make an expansion work here? If we add two more teams, what division are they going to go in? Of course, you do have the answer of one team can be in the American League. One team can be in National League. But then where do you put them? And my whole thing is that I think people are really, they like this idea and they're very excited about it. But then the second you go, okay, we're going to have to reconfigure all of these divisions and make things work so that we can make it fair and get these new teams in. Then you're also going to have a ton of people that are like, get all angry about, well, why do I, why don't, why don't we get, why, we're not going to have that rivalry anymore. We're not having this rivalry. Wait, why team, we're not going to be playing them in the same division. We're not going to be competing against each other. And I think it's something that a lot of people like in theory, but it's just in practice something that would take a lot of convincing because people like to, you know, people like the tradition and keeping things the same and having it not dealing with such drastic change like that So I think it's something where I would want to hear more about the logistics of it. Because, again, introducing two teams, you're going to have to restructure the league somehow. So that's more I'd be interested in figuring that out. And I did talk about that on Backstop Banner with Michael. And he had some great ideas for what you could do. But I'm going to just team no, um, don't do it. But if you did introduce a couple more teams, I know for me... My whole thing is I liked the idea of potentially if you had a team, um, I've heard a lot of people talking about, well, I a lot of people talked about Montreal and RC Milton said in the chat too, as a Canadian, or I'm not overly convinced about Montreal and I'm Canadian. Part of the reason is I just, I liked hearing there was some Brewers commentators talking about it, that they were saying they really missed spending time there and it was always a fun city to play in and they wouldn't mind that. But, I would like to just see, I think, some team in Canada. I think that would be really fun. I think it'd be fun to have a team in, like, Louisville or Nashville. So just get a team down there. But I just, I mean, again, I'm kind of like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's not to say that it's not broken, but it just seems like this thing where people like the idea, but then as soon as Manfred starts fucking around and messing with things, then all of a sudden people get mad about it and say he's ruining baseball and blah 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 why would he do this he doesn't care about the game etc and I think it's just something that if it would happen there needs to be a lot more foresight and a lot more planning going into it than just saying oh let's do it because this would be cool or I'd like to see it I, I just would like to see more of a well-rounded proposal in terms of the logistics that would be going on there. And R.C. Milton says Vancouver, I think, will work. Louisville would be nice. I recall the Expos, but don't think Montreal would be a free agent haven like Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, that's always a thing to kind of take note of. But that's where you work on just building up the franchise, the people who are there in the cities. But eh. again, I think if I saw a bigger proposal about how do you split it? Because again, do you do uh, how how you go about that? If you are interested in hearing more of my thoughts about a potential expansion in Major League Baseball, you can go and listen to the episode I did with Michael Lawson on Backstop Banner, which is part of Unwrapped Sports Network. We spent a good amount of time talking about it there, so I would highly recommend going and listening to that if you did want to hear my thoughts. The thing I did want to talk about today was uh, what day it is, because it's July 1st. And you know what that means, uh, Bobby Bonilla Day. So happy Bobby Bonilla Day, my, my baseball family, my baseball friends, baseball fans. If you are not familiar with what this means, today Bobby Bonilla will collect a check for $1.1 from the New York Mets. And this is something that has happened every July 1st from 2011 to 2035. So we got many more, many more Bobby Bonilla Days coming up. and. This is essentially, if anybody's not familiar with how this kind of happens or how this could actually work, basically with the way that they structure salaries in baseball and sort everything out, there is sort of this whole thing of having deferred payments. So instead of him getting it all while he was playing or all at one time, they had it deferred and this was kind of the payment setup that he eventually got. So he basically is, has been getting this again, like I mentioned, every July 1st since 2011. And it's just something where you're like, okay, you got to love it. You got to just love it. I think a lot of baseball fans have really kind of taken this in stride and have enjoyed it a lot. And this was because essentially what happened was in 2000, the Mets agreed to buy out the remaining $5.9 million on Bonilla's contract. but essentially, they didn't want to just pay him that at the time and set this up for these annual payments of $1.2 million for 25 years um, at an 8% interest rate. So they were like, yep, okay, let's do it. And all of a sudden, now it's kind of become this whole thing that I think a lot of fans like to celebrate and find very fun, entertaining. And Steve Cohen today tweeted, I hope everyone is enjoying my favorite day of the year, Bobby Bonilla Day, and it's just kind of become this unofficial little, like unofficial little holiday in baseball, which is very entertaining. Especially because it's a very significant lump sum of money that he's earning a lot more than a lot of current very phenomenal players are making this year. So it's something. It's really something. And this article from ESPN takes note that he makes more money than, um, just to name a few, Tommy Edmond, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, Alejandro Kirk, Tony Gonsolin, Alec Manoa, Ty France, uh, Andre Jimenez, Jeremy Pena, and Julio Rodriguez. So pretty significant. And this is also something, too, that there was an article, I believe, right after Christian Yelich signed his extension, where they were saying, oh, he could potentially be paid until, like, 2052 or something ridiculous. Probably it was probably only like 2042 or something, but they could be paying him for a really long time if deferment works similarly. So maybe it's going to look at Christian Yelich today. And as RC Milton and others mentioned in the chat, happy Canada Day. But I think that's gonna do it today. Thank you guys, and I'll see you next week.